Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. California Attorney General Javier Becerra is once again suing the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, this time for saying it'll suspend enforcement of some environmental requirements during the coronavirus pandemic. KQED's Kate Wolf starts us off. In late March, officials with the federal EPA announced the agency would stop requiring companies to monitor and report air and water pollution during the coronavirus pandemic, saying it recognizes challenges businesses face that would make it difficult to meet federal regulations. Now, Attorney General Becerra is joining a coalition of eight other states suing the federal body over the decision, saying it is overreaching. In a statement, Becerra said it is regressive to reduce environmental enforcement while a pandemic is attacking people's respiratory systems, and the rollback will increase the risk of coronavirus complications for vulnerable communities who often experience more exposure to industrial pollution. For The California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. The State Department of Corrections has announced a new COVID-19 outbreak at a women's prison in San Bernardino County. The California Institution for Women has tested at least 400 inmates since last Friday, and positive cases are increasing there. In a press release, the agency said most patients are asymptomatic, but the facility is taking measures to contain the spread of the virus. All inmates are on quarantine and movement is limited. Inmates who test positive but aren't showing symptoms will be isolated from their cellmates. Inmates who are showing symptoms will be separated and treated. The facility is coordinating testing efforts with the county. It might soon be as easy as stopping at a local pharmacy to find out if you have the coronavirus. This week, Governor Gavin Newsom announced pharmacy testing can begin across the state. KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg explains. The new state guidance allows tests that tell you if you have the virus or if you had it in the past. The latter reveals whether you are potentially immune to the coronavirus. Both tests must be authorized by the Food and Drug Administration. And although a trained pharmacist can collect a nasal swab or a blood sample on site, the specimen must be processed at an outside lab. A doctor's approval is not required. A representative from CVS said testing will take place in parking lots or at drive through windows though they could not specify when it will become available. State officials say pharmacies will greatly expand testing capacity across the state. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. California officials say it will take more time to test all workers and patients for coronavirus at over 1,200 nursing homes statewide. They're looking at what three counties are already doing to inform it. From KQED Science, Molly Peterson reports. 
Los Angeles has ordered skilled nursing facilities to provide monthly tests for all of their residents and workers. In San Francisco, a health department order requires testing for the virus among workers and patients at nursing homes, whether they're showing symptoms or not. The order shows how complicated doing this can be, how to get consent from patients, notify people of results, and ask facilities to keep records. And Alameda County now is recommending that clinicians test everyone in all licensed care homes. Those results may guide facilities to separate patients patients negative for the virus from those who are positive. Counties in the state say once testing begins, they hope to repeat it until the pandemic slows. For the California Report, I'm Molly Peterson. A state task force is working on what it will take to reopen schools safely, but it will be up to individual districts to decide when to reopen. That's according to State Superintendent of Schools Tony Thurmond. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports. Acknowledging that the reopening of schools is on everyone's mind, Thurman said the task force is working on guidelines for districts that could include hiring more staff to create smaller class sizes, creating a hybrid learning model combining online distance learning with shifts of students physically in classrooms and students and staff wearing masks while attending school. We won't ask any school to open their campuses to students if we cannot point to health data in consultation from from health partners and workplace safety experts who help us understand what the, the work environment and the campus environment needs to be. Thurman said some districts may choose to open early to address equity needs of students falling behind during this time of distance learning. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. In Sacramento, the governor's revised budget proposal comes out today, and one thing is clear. California's coffers have seen better days. That's according to KQED politics reporter Katie Orr, who joins me now. Katie, good morning. And I wonder, you know, with this pandemic, what can we expect in this plan? Well, bluntly, tons of budget cuts. Um, Forecasts uh, of the economy projected drop in sales and income tax receipts by more than 25% next year for the state. And they're also projecting a $54 billion revenue shortfall, nearly 20% unemployment. So it's not good news. The one bright spot is the state started the year before coronavirus in a very good financial position. So there is hope that that will help. Also, a lot rides on how much federal aid California will ultimately get. So it's a bleak picture to be sure. The tax filing deadline has been pushed back to mid-July from mid-April. How is that going to affect this budget? Well, it really upends the whole budget process because those are uh, the revenues that the state will be working with for the next fiscal year. And right now, we don't know what those revenues are. We won't know until mid-July when the new tax filing deadline um, passes. So right now, what they'll probably do is pass a stopgap budget, um, meaning they'll just continue on with what we have for several months and then come back after the July 15th tax filing deadline and create a new budget going forward for the rest of the fiscal year. No way this is not coming up at the governor's news conference today at noon. What are some of the areas that you're going to be keeping an eye on as he speaks today? Well, of course, there's not an area of the budget that won't be touched, most likely, but 
Schools are one of the big ones. Um, because of the funding formula schools work from, uh, they are projected to lose $18 billion for K-12 through and community colleges over uh, the next two years. And that's something uh, schools are already saying is just unsustainable for them. Also, a Medi-Cal expansion. The governor in his January budget proposal had proposed expanding full-scope Medi-Cal coverage to um, undocumented seniors over 65 beginning in January 2021. There were also more slots for a state-subsidized preschool, and maybe he'll even consider pausing the increase in the minimum wage, which um, this year went up to $13 an hour for most companies and is on its way to ultimately $15 an hour. All right, Katie Orr of KQED's politics team keeping an eye on all of this for us. Thank you. Thanks, Lily. The Navajo Nation in the southwestern U.S. currently has the second highest per capita infection rate after New York State. The illness is taking a devastating toll on the community where access to water and multi-generational housing are helping the virus spread. Eileen Alku is a volunteer physician from UCSF. She's taking care of patients recovering or quarantining in motel rooms near the reservation. Pretty much every day I go door to door. And I'm met with symptoms that are ongoing and frustrating, feeling like the cough will never go away, or just frustration that even though um, young and otherwise now healthy people are not able to leave the hotel room because they're asked to shelter in place and not even step outside into the corridor, and all they want to do is take a walk. And there are moments that I feel like a warden that I'm asking for this inhuman way of staying inside and not being able to go out and even get a breath of fresh air for public safety and for their own safety. And today I was leaning down to examine the infant sister of a toddler staying with her family in a hotel room as they recover from coronavirus. And thankfully the children are not very sick. And as I knelt down to examine the five-month-old, her three-year-old toddler sister, very deliberately and methodically removed everything from my back pockets, pulling out each of my pens, my phone, followed by my wallet. And she came right up to me, even though I was in head to toe, what would have otherwise been a terrifying outfit of face shield, gown, gloves, and mask. Eileen Alku is one of 21 healthcare volunteers from UCSF caring for patients on the Navajo Nation. This story is part of a series of audio diaries produced by KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg. Acting Secretary of Homeland Security Chad Wolf toured the San Diego-Tijuana border from a Coast Guard helicopter yesterday. That's at the same time that the Trump administration is looking to extend indefinitely its restrictive border policies that were put in place during the pandemic. KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler has more from San Diego. During a brief press availability in the San Diego Harbor, Wolf said that the administration's policy of turning back almost all migrants along the southern border during the pandemic will continue for the foreseeable future. He says the agency is following CDC directives in doing so. We return those that we apprehend illegally, about 80% of them, we return them uh, within about two hours, about 120 minutes after they cross the border, they are returned. Advocates say this is violating U.S. asylum law by not giving asylum seekers due process. 
San Diego County has also seen the largest outbreak of COVID-19 inside of federal immigration detention, with 149 confirmed cases of coronavirus at the Otay Mesa Detention Center. Wolf said that while some medically vulnerable people are being released by court order, ICE would not release civil immigration detainees more broadly just to prevent the spread of COVID-19. What we're not going to do is we're not going to release all of the, the detainees in our care. It's irresponsible. It's irresponsible to the communities we release them into. And so we're going to do this in a much more targeted effort, case-by-case -case basis, looking at individual cases. Wolf also inspected a 1.2-mile stretch of the border fence that is currently under construction by the Department of Defense. As a case challenging this use of Pentagon money winds through the courts. For the California Report, I'm Max Rivlin-Nadler in San Diego. Businesses in California are taking new precautions to mitigate the spread of coronavirus. Some are no longer accepting cash, but as CAP Radio Scott Rod reports, a bill at the state capitol would ban this practice. You want to place an order? Yeah, uh, three chicken tacos a la carte. Not even a pandemic can stop Californians from getting their taco fix. But here at Zocalo, a Mexican restaurant in downtown Sacramento, there's a new routine when it comes to ordering. Payment is something that creates a lot of touch points for both the guest and our employees. Eric Acosta is the assistant general manager. To solve those problems, we went strictly to touchless payment. Uh, you're able to add gratuity, make adjustments to your payment simply through your phone or your device. He says that trend could be here to stay, even after California starts to lift its stay-at-home order. Even though we're hoping to open up our doors, that doesn't mean we're going back to the normal that we previously knew. But a bill in the legislature, introduced back in February, would prohibit businesses from going cashless. Democratic State Senator Jerry Hill authored the proposal. He says banning cash payments has the biggest impact on low-income Californians. That includes many who have worked throughout the pandemic. Most of the essential workers are low wage and have a high chance of being near or below the poverty line. And cash transactions are really necessary to buy essential goods. Hill says he's considering making the bill an urgency proposal, which requires more votes to pass, but means it would take effect immediately if signed by the governor. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, May 14th. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you so much for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh and tips for using it up can be found at paintcare.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today 
on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.